Hey everyone, thanks for taking time to listen to our latest sermon. A sermon about the life of a king named David and the truths we can take from it on living a meaningful life ourselves. Before it plays, I want to update you on two things. First, we have built a new website to serve as a central hub for our church. The site is creekside.me and on it you can subscribe to our newsletter, sign up for an event, donate money, and even let us know how God has used this sermon to impact you. The other thing that I want to let you know about is that our sermon videos are now available on our website. If you'd rather watch this sermon than listen to it, just visit wilsonville.church David. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, everyone. Well, today we are continuing series on the life of David and about living an impactful life. And today we're going to talk about friendship and the importance of friendship. And I want to start by saying that I'm not a very good friend. Uh, In fact, it's funny that this comes up now because just a few weeks ago, uh, I, I think we were taking stuff down on a Sunday and I said to Brandon, I'm a terrible friend. And he and I was being serious. It wasn't like it, it, nothing had happened. I don't know what we were talking about specifically, but I just kind of said, I'm a terrible friend. And he chuckled, and I said, what? And he said, I didn't know you knew that about yourself. Uh, and, and this is like, Brandon's a really good friend and a longtime friend. And, uh, and, and for me, uh, I'm a great teammate, and, and most of you I consider to be on my team. Uh, but, but as far as friendship goes, I just... I don't know. I have an agenda always, you know, in life. And now nobody's going to want to talk to me in the church anymore. But it's true. Like, like if you have a truck, then I'm going to, I'm going to use you for your truck and I'll do it in the name of friendship, you know. Um, and Brandon knows that one very well because he had a truck for a long time and we're less good friends now that he doesn't have one anymore. Go figure. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Making it even more kind of embarrassing to admit that I'm a terrible friend is the fact that I have incredible friends and uh, people care about me deeply, people invest in me, uh, people put up with the fact that that I can be driven by, uh, I, I think, a very good agenda, a godly agenda, but I, I want to I want to push God's glory forward in the world, and most of my relationships kind of default to that, like how can we accomplish that, and if you have coffee with me, and you know this, and you like me for it partly, right, because I'm your pastor, but part of you probably doesn't, like if we have coffee together, it's going to come back to like what the church needs to do better, and probably how you can help, Um, and that's just the way that it goes for me, but I have these people in my life who despite that care about me love me, invest in me, are there for me. Uh, and I know, even though I'm not very good at just being friends, I, I, I know the value of friendship. And, uh, and in fact, in my life, uh, I can point back to like some of the most decisive, important moments are wrapped up in, in the people that I've made friends with, that I became friends with. And, uh, and, and they're not always spiritual, but... 
but they're always important to my life. Like, as a kid, I grew up on a cul-de-sac, which just makes life better. Uh, if you grew up on a cul-de-sac, then you know what I mean, because you don't have to worry about getting run over, so you can play hide-and-go-seek in the dark and things like that. And, man, alive, those friends that I grew up with that, that subsequently have moved away and we've gone different directions, but those friends uh, are, they were so impactful to me. I mean, they, they like, they, most of them were a little bit older than me, and, and really they kind of, they like showed me what to do and what not to do, and they forgave me when I threw basketballs at their heads because I was angry. I told you I'm not a very good friend. Um, and I mean, it, it just was like this security that I had no matter what was going on in my life outside of that street. Um, it, they were there and they would be there, and I always had someone to play with and to hang out with. And uh, it's fascinating, one of those friends, um, Jared is his name, uh, he he and I totally lost contact. He moved to Redding, California, I think by the way of Spokane. He's uh, a radio DJ, and so he's moved around. And uh, he took a job at Z100 just a couple years ago, and he moved to Wilsonville. And it uh, has it took nothing for us to pick up and, and be friends again because of just this bond that we had from G.I. Joe's, you know, and playing guns back when that was allowed, uh, you know, and things like that. And, and so... Uh, those friends were really impactful for me. And then I went to school, as people will do, and um, I, I transferred schools when I was in second grade. And my cousin Felicia was there. If you know Jared, who goes to our church, his sister was there. And she was a year behind me in school. But when I transferred schools, like, she's the only person I knew at my new school. And it was very scary. And I'd been there I don't know, this seems like weird, like she left because of me looking back, but I think I'd been at the school for like two weeks, and then she switched to a private school, and I remember being at recess and looking out at the kids and actually crying because I, I had no friends at school anyway, I still had my street friends, but I had no friends at school, and uh, my dad gave me that night it's like how was school like well I cried at recess oh um, and uh, so he, he said this thing that that if you know me now then you know that this has never changed like this has just became a part of who I was but he said that night after I cried at recess here's what I want you to do every day you learn the name of one kid and uh and maybe you'll become friends with one of them, but until you do, just don't worry about it, and you learn the name of somebody, and, and that'll, be, that'll be at least a step, right? Like, be proactive about this thing. Quit your crying. Oh, he didn't say that. But, um, and, and so, the, like, literally the next day, I don't even know how, I walked up to this kid named Yasser, and I said, what's up? I'm Chad. I'm a loser, you know? Nice to meet you. <laughs> what's your name? Uh, and I don't know why, but he just liked me, and that was it. Yasser was a cool kid in my school. Uh, I immediately went from no friends to, like, all of his friends, and a lot of those people became my friends really, like, forever. Uh, Yasser lives in Sacramento now, but uh, he was up last summer, and we tried to get together. It didn't end up working out, but we tried to get together, and, and if you know me, frankly, um, like, there's like everybody that I see, I meet, it seems like. I'm afraid actually for my daughter that she's, when we tell her not to talk to strangers, she's going to be like, what's that? Uh, my dad talks to everybody on the street because I, I literally like every single time we're in public, I meet people. Uh, and I think it stems from that one moment, but that friend changed 
grade school for me forever and middle school, frankly, because almost all of my friends stemmed from that. And then uh, I got into high school and uh, my, my freshman year of high school, um, it was like this, this moment where uh, most of my friends who were, it was all kind of surrounded with sports for me, uh, the high majority of those friends, as soon as we hit our freshman year of high school, they started partying and drinking and their, their lives changed pretty dramatically and, and, and I didn't want to do that, not because I was more spiritual than them or anything, frankly, because I didn't want to get in trouble if I could go back in time. It had nothing to do with who I was. It was more about not wanting to get in trouble. And, uh, and so like I, went, I, like I went from you know, a lot of friends to like two friends pretty sh- quickly and uh, really one for about my whole freshman year. And uh, it, it wasn't really until the end of my junior year where this friendship from grades, uh, middle school, uh, I, I kind of, we ended up in the science class together and, and we had been friends always and played sports together, but like we weren't as tight as we were in middle school, like where I was spending the night at Brian's house all the time and he had kind of gotten different friends, not like abandoned me, that makes him sound like terrible person, we just hadn't really hung out very much and, and we ended up in the science class together and, and I'm like, I don't know, somehow we connected, and, and then my junior and senior year, these people became my people, and I went to Hawaii with a, a bunch of them after I graduated from high school, and, and when I went to my reunion, like, I didn't care about going to the reunion, but these people are the people I wanted to see, and, and I watched their kids grow up on Facebook, like, these are the people that became my new friends, and it, it was impactful for me, and it changed my entire experience as a senior in high school and, and late in my junior year in high school. Uh, and, and I'm totally indebted to that, uh, th- those moments. And then, and then uh, you know, as I went through college and I had great friends there, but, but I, I ended up at this church and, uh, and I have just incredible friendships here. People who will tell me the truth and I actually hear like these stats about pastors and uh, and how they don't have friends because they always feel like they need to put on a show and uh, and how pastors, you know, when they fall to moral failure, they end up looking back and say, well, there's nobody that I was actually friends with. I just ministered to people. Uh, and and I'm so grateful that that's just not true for me. In fact, it's hard for me to understand those stats because I have such great friends here at this church, even though I'm not a great friend back and as I look at my life, really, my, my entire life has been shaped by the friendships that I have. And your parents tell you that, right? Like when you're a kid, they're like, make good friends, because if you don't, then you're, you're going to ruin your life and you'll smoke cigarettes, you know? And, and I, 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 I kind of got lucky, I guess, or it was God's providence. Uh, I mean, I didn't really try to seek good friendships, but I ended up with them uh, despite me a lot of times. And the Bible talks a lot about friendship. We're not going to talk about what the Bible says about friendship today. We're actually going to look at a story in the life of David. Uh, but, but in Proverbs, it says these things that really, really, really drive home this idea that our friendships will have an incredible impact on our lives, specifically our spiritual lives. In Proverbs twelve twenty six, it says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I mean, the righteous, the people who have a good, healthy, right relationship with God, a big part of that is the friendships that they choose. 
In Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then in Proverbs 27, 17, and this one's so famous, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And what's clear in the book of Proverbs is that that our friendships are going to dictate, in a lot of ways, our spiritual lives. I think about becoming one of those pastors, like I'm not actively considering, I mean I think about like what if I was to become one of those pastors who who falls and you know like has an affair or uh, has a pornography addiction or is so prideful that somebody has to step up and say like you need to stop doing this ministry now. I mean these are stories that you hear pretty consistently, right? And like, I think about like what if, right? And it's, don't tell my wife, but I don't think like, well, I would have blown my marriage and that would be terrible. And I don't really think like, like, well, I'd have to find a different job. I think like, I don't want to look at Brandon and Josh and Matt's and I don't want to look at these people, my friends, and say like, yep, I did it. It, it, it for me, more than my romantic relationship with my wife, even more than my children, even though that would be horrible, right? Uh, even more than just having this job that I do like, I, I, more than any of that, it's the friendships that I have in this church that I just can't imagine having to look at them and say, I jacked this whole thing up. Especially because they're such good friends when I'm not, and, and I, I drive so much of the relationship back to the church, and like, if I just made it all crumble, like, I would hate to look them in the eyes and say, you let me borrow your truck, and I did this, you know? I mean, that's what I dread more than anything. And it's because God has given me incredible friends. And uh, in, in 1 Samuel 20, there's this great story about this friendship and what it leads to in, in Jonathan and David, uh, their friendship. And, and as I was preparing the sermon, and if you looked at your bulletin, if you were paying attention, if you're on version, looking at what we have today, uh, I actually had... First uh, Samuel 20 is really the passage of scripture for today. Uh, but as I kind of started to, to build the sermon, I got really hung up at First Samuel 18, 1 through 4, which is the beginning of this friendship, or really uh, it, it kind of shows the foundation of the friendship that leads to the story in 1 Samuel 20. And I might read to you later in this sermon, 1 Samuel 20 and some of the parts there that I wanted to get to. I might not. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but, but you should read that story there because it shows just how important this friendship is of, of David's with this guy named uh, Jonathan. It shows how important the friendship is for the impactful life that he has. And this is kind of the point of the sermon today that I want you to have in your heads. You cannot live an incredible life of impact, which is what this series is about. You cannot live a meaningful life, a life that is bigger than you, without friends. And so you must do two things. You must pick good friends, and you should try to be a good friend to others. And so here, here's the beginning of this Friendship in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved David as himself. 
Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, a lot's happened. David kills Goliath. We talked about that last week. You knew that even if you weren't here last week. David kills the giant named Goliath, chops off his head, and then the Jewish people, the Israelites, they start chasing down the Philistines and they kill a whole bunch of them. And uh, and Saul, the king of the land, who doesn't know that David, by God, has been anointed as the future king of the land, Saul is like, this guy is too valuable of an asset for me. He's not going anywhere. Like, this is a guy we need in our army, even though he's not an enlisted soldier. And so he keeps David with him, making two-chapter story a little bit shorter. And, and he enlists him in the army, and David goes off and fights these incredible battles, and he keeps winning these wars, and, and he keeps winning these battles, and, and he's killing thousands upon thousands of people. And then this thing happens. As David's coming back from battle one day, the people start chanting, the women in the land start chanting, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul does not like that. Jealousy kicks in and Saul wants to kill David. He, he hurls uh, or chucks in my daughter's language. He chucks a sword at him, a spear at him, not a sword, a spear at him two times in these stories. Um, and so Saul keeps him there. This is, what, this is all what takes place in this kind of 18 through 20 chapters of, of 1 Samuel. And, and, and he's going to keep David with him, and he's going to try to find ways to kill David. And we'll cover some of that in a little bit. And in the midst of all of this, David meets the son of Saul, Jonathan. And, and that's what we read about here in this story. And, and there's so many things that stand out about what it means to be a friend in this passage and what it means to have a good friend, a friend that is going to help you live a valuable, important, meaningful life, a life of impact. Uh, But before we look at those things specifically, I just want to tell you why I was excited to talk about this friendship. And it's because of C.S. Lewis, actually. And uh, I live in America now right and so with that comes some just built-in things that we think and we believe and we feel and it's hard to oftentimes get on top of those and actually see ourselves and say wait is that actually how it should be and and one of the things that I found because of reading C.S. Lewis um, specifically a book called The Four Loves which is a great book where he talks about different kind of loves the different kind of loves but in that book uh, C.S. Lewis helped me see that, that we as Americans today, we really value two relationships. We value the family relationship, but way more and above that, we value the romantic relationship. And so when you talk to people in our society today, it's like built in, right? Like blood is thicker than water. We have that in our minds and and we say, well, family, we stick with family through thick and thin. And and we have like this this built in thing that says, I need to take care of my family. Not as much as like Mexican culture or many Asian cultures, but we still have it in us, right? Like we need to be there for our family. We need to love our family. And when we don't see love in the family structure, we're like, yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be. And then, my goodness, we idolize romantic love, right? I mean, like, there's just movie after movie after movie after movie about 
romantic love. And we believe that in our, I think in our heart of hearts, that romantic love is the end all be all of life. And if I can just find the right one, then life will be satisfied and happy. I'll be satisfied and happy and everything will be good and we will live happily ever after. I mean, we just think if we have that right romantic relationship, then then we're going to nail it. I mean, just turn on the radio and listen to some songs and, and it's all about... Uh, that romantic love, oftentimes going on to the, uh, the sexual side of it, if you turn on the certain radio stations. But it's still romantic, and I'll put love in quotes when we use it in that way, love. But oftentimes it's actual love, right? And if you turn it to a country station, then you have at least a little better view of love than Z100. Uh, no offense to my friend Jared. Again, I'm a terrible friend. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But we value these two relationships and, and these two types of love, our families and, and, and romance. But what's been so lost in our culture is this thing that C.S. Lewis valued more than, than any of his other relationships, and that's what makes him really inspiring. And that is, that is this, this love of friendship. And C.S. Lewis in this book, like, it's so inspiring because he just speaks so highly of friendship and we speak so low of friendship. Friendship, if you're anything like me, is something that I have to do in between taking care of family and taking care of, uh, of my romantic relationship with my wife. That's the only one, uh, you know, and, and, and this friendship deal is for us like, yeah, if I can get around to it, if I can squeeze it in. But for him, it's huge. And if you look at his life, it's not just like he's talking about it in some theoretical sense. He had like seriously good quality friendships with some other very, very smart people. Uh, J.R. Tolkien being one of them who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And they pushed each other and they helped each other and they liked each other and they hung out together. And they've made this in a major important part of their lives. And in this book, he says these things that are, that are just so valuable to me. Uh, and, and I, and I want to read you some of them and, and then build off of them a little bit and, and kind of throw David and Jonathan in there. He says this about friendship. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of the, those things that give value to survival. Isn't that fascinating? We need our families, right, to stay alive, especially when we're little. I have a three-month-old baby, and, and he would die without me. Well, he'd die without Bryn. I'm helpful at times, you know. I mean, it would, if there was no family structure, like you took it all away, then, then he would die. He would, he would just be left to his own. Now, we've fixed some of that with adoption and things like that in our you know, modern world, but, but really, it's a biological need that we have for our families, and romantically speaking there's we have a biological need is humanity right because without romantic attraction then then we cease to exist as uh, as a species because you need that if you don't know what i'm talking about then you know ask somebody else but but like uh, you, you need that in order to survive we need that in order to survive but friendship just makes our lives better isn't that cool? There's something really profound about that that C.S. Lewis noticed. I mean, in the strictest sense, Jonathan didn't need David and David didn't need Jonathan. They just realized when they met that it was going to enrich their lives. 
In fact, as I'll talk about in just a few moments, for Jonathan especially, it's counterproductive to his existence for David to stay alive, for him to be friends with David. But we'll get back to that in a second. And then C.S. Lewis said this other thing that, that we don't have any background on David and Jonathan, but, it, but I like it so much. Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I love that. Uh, because we think that, that friendship, I don't know, we never think about how we become friends with people, but C.S. Lewis has kind of identified it. You look at somebody and you go, oh, you like that music too? Or, oh, you've experienced that thing too? Or, or oh, you feel that way too? A- and that's how we become friends with people. We've mentioned and we've announced, and I don't like to turn my sermons into announcements, but I think it's important this morning that we're having these dinners every month. And and I want to tell you the truth. These dinners are not the end. They are a means to an end. It's our goal at this church to be a connected, loving, unified church. Uh, And one of the things that we talk about is that we want people to at least have one relationship in our church, that it feels completely natural and normal for you to talk about spiritual things. And that's hard to get to in modern day America, isn't it? Because maybe you'll talk about spiritual things with your family, maybe. And maybe you'll talk about spiritual things with your romantic person, the romantic person in your life. But it's really hard to have that type of relationship where you can say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this sin. Or, hey, like, I really need help. Or, hey, like, man, God's blessed me. I'm super excited about it. Those things feel abnormal. And these dinners don't exist so that you can have dinner. They exist in large part so that you can sit around and have a conversation and and, and hopefully during them look at somebody and go, what, you too? And then have coffee and then have a friendship so that you can get to a point where you can have spiritual conversation and it feels so natural. We don't know what draws Jonathan and David together. I got to guess. It's something about what David says. I think it's primarily that they... Both are passionate followers of God. But I also think a little bit is probably because they're both warriors and they're both skilled. Jonathan, a skilled archer, archist, shooter of bow and arrow, um, uh, and uh, archery person. You're all saying it differently. Um, and <laughs> thank you for your help. Archer is what the, that seemed to be consistent. And David is good with the slingshot. And if he's anything like me, it's like, that's cool. I should try that. And I can see that. But then really at the heart of this for David and Jonathan, if you noticed at the beginning of that passage, is that he hears David talk about conquering Goliath. And we think that that what you too moment has to be so often like these these common interests like we like the same movies or we we're into the same sports or whatever but that's not it usually the 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 deepest friendships that I have are primarily with people that don't share the same interests as me up front it's that we have life experiences We have feelings about the world that are the same and most of that is wrapped up in our relationship with God. I think that for a a lot of you, maybe you don't have deep and good friends because you're always searching for friends that have the exact same interests, but you're not looking for friends that have been through the same things, that understand your struggles, that are at the same point in life. 
And I think maybe you should. One of the things that I've uh, that, that I think shock people that I say because I I think I pretty much always tell the truth and, and I don't say the things that are you know social, socially normal. But my wife and I literally have nothing in common. Like uh, uh, we like Mexican food. That's the one thing that we seem to have in common. And other than that, there's just nothing. And, and frankly, it has no negative effect on my marriage because there is something much bigger than liking the same movies or her, you know, liking, I don't know, whatever. I don't even know what Bryn likes now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> what are you into, babe? She likes, she likes stupid TV shows. Um, I, uh, but like the, the depth that is in our marriage because A, we love God. B, we love this church. C, we want to raise a good family and we're trying hard to have a good marriage and family. I mean, these things, uh, D, we've been through just the most difficult things together. And, and, and man, I've said this in sermons before and now I'm really gonna sound like a bad husband, but for like two or three years of our marriage, I might have lied and said like, oh yeah, she's my favorite. But really, I mean, it was the people I grew up with that were a part of my family that that if, I mean, if, <laughs> I was gonna say it in the worst way possible, but but like if I was going to war, they were the ones going with me. But as, as our marriage has gone forward, the romantic stuff, you know this if you've married a long time, that's just, you know, like that. But I can't imagine her not being a part of my life because, because we've hurt together and we've cried together and we've celebrated together. And I have friends that it's the same. I cannot imagine not doing life with some of you because, because not because we share the same interests, but because we've been through so much together, we've worked so hard for this church together, we've, we've seen each other mess up so many times, we've celebrated together so many times. I mean, it's all of these things. And so you need to be looking for somebody that, that you can go, yeah, you too, man. Like you're raising kids too, or your kid has that struggle too, or your marriage has that struggle too, and you need to be friends with them. And then he says this other thing. For a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work, Christ, who said to the disciples, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Can truly say to every group of Christian friends, You have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a, a reward of our decisions and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of of others. And I would say God reveals to us so much more in our friendships. And and we know that, right? Like we should be proactive in choosing our friends, but a lot of times we end up with them. And we need to look at God when we have good friendships and say, God, you've given me this. What must I do with this? And so it's important, I think, to look at verses one through four where we read about the beginning of Jonathan and David's relationship and, and to say, okay, w- what was so good about this? Because this, this changed the world in a lot of ways. This friendship changed the world and, and what was so good and, and healthy that God, and I wrestled with this, like what is the 
point of chapters 18 through 20. I mean, it's, it's about the rise of David, but what spiritually is important about this? Why is this included? I mean, why are these like little interludes in the life of David where he talks, where God talks about Jonathan when really Jonathan is not that important of a character ultimately except for how he invests in the life of David. And I think it's in large part to say, look, be a friend like Jonathan. Have a friend like Jonathan. And the first thing that we see is, is that Jonathan and David became one in spirit. It says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And more literally, this is the, the soul of Jonathan, I love this, was knit with the soul of David. This can be translated also bound up. And, and in Genesis 44, 30, there's a guy named Jacob and he has a son and it's, it's one of his favorite sons. And he says about this son named Benjamin, my life is now bound up in your life. If you're a parent, you, you already understand that because you know like how interconnected your life becomes with your, with your child. I mean... Hazel, like, I mean, I just want to see her succeed. I mean, that's, that's it at this point. Like, I want to glorify God and see Hazel succeed. And, and Hudson, too, but we're still in that, you know, getting to know each other phase. We'll get there eventually. But, uh, but, but after two years, like, 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 my life is completely bound up in hers. Completely. Like, if she's hurt, then nothing, I'm not going to be like, too bad, I'm having a nice day, you know? I mean, that just is impossible for me at this point. And, and this is what Jonathan had with David, and we don't have that with friends, right? I mean, we don't think in those terms with friendships. We think like family, yeah, if they're bad, then I'm gonna be bad and, and with my girlfriend or spouse or fiance or whatever. Like, yeah, if they're having a bad day, I should at least act like my day's bad too, you know? I mean, like, we think like that, but, but Jonathan's soul, his very life becomes bound up in David's. Like, if things aren't good for David, things aren't good for Jonathan. And I just wonder, like, do you have any friends that you can say that about? Especially any Christian friends that you can say that about? Is there any person that you care about enough that, that uh, and I'm put the just, like I don't like the word just friends anymore because that sounds so you know, opposite of what I'm saying this morning. But like, is there anybody you're just friends with? That like if they have a bad time, you have a bad time? Is there anybody you care about that much? Is there anybody that cares about you that much? Because that's what changes the life of David. Having a friend that says like, my soul will be bound up in your soul. And making it even more interesting to me is, is that this word soul is a word in, in our kind of thinking. It's like a separate part of life. But for Jewish people... They saw all of it together, right? Like your body and your soul, it's just you. Like one thing. And so this is deeper than like David having a bad day than Jonathan's having a bad day. This is like as far as everything that is David. As it was good or bad, then it was good or bad for Jonathan. We must find friends that care about us what happens to us on the outside, but even what happens to us deep, deep in our souls. Like if you sin, man, like 
I can't take it because because it, it means that we, that we are not succeeding. We. And we hate that word, don't we, as Americans? Like, we don't want to be we with anybody we don't have to be we with. Worst sentence I've ever preached, but like, we don't want to be we. We want to be me. This is naturally ingrained within us from the time we're little, I can tell you, because of Hazel. Like, no me, no me, me self, me self. That's, how, that's what she says all the time, me self. Can I help you with that? Me self. And then we have like a time in our lives where we're like 10 years old where for a little bit we value friendships and, and I don't know why this happens, but then it goes away again, right? It's like me self, me self. And Jonathan's like, we. And you have to have friends. If you're going to live, uh, we learn it's David. Like David's cool, right? He's kind of an awesome guy. But, but David, without a we, he, he was not anything. So they become one in spirit. And, and then it says Jonathan loved David as himself. I mean, in Mark 12, 31, we, we read, love your neighbor as yourself. That's very famous. In 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I mean, and, and then in, and this is what friendship is, and this is the deepest form of friendship. In John 15, 13, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And, and Jonathan comes along, and, and he, he sees David, and he's, he's just drawn to him, and he likes him. As we'll see in just a minute, he likes him and he looks at him and says, I will love you more than myself. I mean, it's more literally, he loved David as his own soul. He just completely loved David like you love you. And I'm telling you, that's what a good friend does, that's what a good friend is. A person that looks at you and says, I love you like I love me. I would lay down my life for you. Now I know, like I say this sometimes, I would probably accidentally take a bullet for anybody. Like if somebody pulled a gun, I would jump in front of you and just because that's who I am as a human. I'm a, I know from experiences that I'm a guy that goes towards the difficult situation and doesn't flee from it. Not all of you are built that way, but that's who I am. So I would take a bullet for a lot of you accidentally but if you gave me five minutes to think about it, <laughs> that list shrinks. Honestly, it honestly shrinks. And if you're being honest, then you probably know that, right? Like you might be a person that jumps in front of somebody to save their lives. But really, if somebody gave you five minutes or maybe 10 or a week to really think like, hey, it's you or them. It's going to happen here. You're choosing you die or they die. A little more questionable, right? And for David, Jonathan was a guy that, that given a month or a year to think about it, he would have taken the bullet every time because he loved David as himself. He loved David more than his own life. And then Jonathan commits to this friendship. I mean, he gives him all of his clothes, which is a weird thing, right, for us. But think about this now. David is... A nobody shepherd. We talked about that last week. Probably got stinky clothes. He comes from Bethlehem. Uh, relatively poor. 
unimportant city. He's the youngest son. He's probably wearing his older brother's clothes, right? I mean, he's really just a nobody still. I mean, he's conquered a bunch of people. He might have got some armor or whatever at this point. But, but for Jonathan, the prince, this is a prince, to say, here, you take my clothes. He is offering him a commitment to the friendship. And David actually draws upon this commitment later in 1 Samuel 20, a story that I may not get to this morning, but you should read. He, he draws upon this commitment. He's like, you've committed to this relationship. And we see that Jonathan comes through on this commitment more than once in 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 3, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And in fact, he talks to his dad, Saul, and Saul decides for at least a little time not to kill David. Now, I haven't said this yet, but it's so important. Uh, Jonathan is a prince. I said that, but listen to this now. Think about what a prince is. It's the next in line to be king. And here's David, who's been anointed by God to be king. Do you know what benefits Jonathan? To have David dead. If David dies, Jonathan is the future king. Probably a role that would have been okay, right? I mean, just be rich and tell people what to do. He commits in an incredible way to this friendship to the point of sacrificing for him. I just wonder, like, how many friendships you're actually committed to. Kids are much more honest about their friendships because if you, as a kid, had your toy taken, you would look at the other person and say, I'm not your friend anymore. You remember that? You've seen kids do that? I think a lot of us do the same thing as adults. I'm not your friend anymore. We may not vocalize it. We don't usually say it, but we just kind of think it and we drift. We just say, well, we drifted. But really, we could go back to a moment where we didn't like something, we were bothered by something where it didn't benefit us to be friends with that person anymore, and we moved on. I'll tell you one of the hardest things about my job, that the, the thing that I least like about what I do as a pastor is that I, I get this, this happens to me. Um, we're going along, we're friends, you don't like something that happens in our church, you associate that with me, and I've lost a lot of friends just like that. They leave the church, and really, they leave me. Uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to, because they, whatever, because it, they don't feel like my friendship benefits them anymore, and I absolutely hate this part of my job, that, that I am so wrapped up in this organization that that for a person to leave the organization means really to leave me. And I've seen it. I mean, it happens to me. This has happened to me. There's a lot of people who probably say really bad things about me, and really they just mean really bad things about you, um, you know, because they're talking about our church, but, but somehow that gets taken back to me. And, and, I, and I just think, like, this is so normal in our American society. We are friends with people while it benefits us. But how many of us, like Jonathan, right up front, are willing to say, I'm committed. 
I don't know what's going to happen in a year or two or three years, but I'm absolutely committed to this friendship. And we learn later in the story of Jonathan and David that David also committed to this friendship. In fact, and this is so cool, after Jonathan is dead, he leaves behind a handicapped son. And David, in promises that he made to Jonathan, follows through on these promises that he made to Jonathan. And he feeds Jonathan's handicapped son at his very table for the rest of his life. This is a friendship that even goes beyond death. And we're like, yeah, let's hang out. See how it goes. And it requires great sacrifice, like I said before. And our there's a quote in our political world where power plays such an important role. What would be thought of a prince who voluntarily renounced his throne in favor of a friend whose character and godly faith he admired? And that's exactly what happens. I mean, I just told you kind of the rundown at the beginning, but it's a, here's a shorter version of it. Uh, Jonathan, uh, David in, in 1 Samuel 20 uh, says, your dad is going to kill me. Jonathan's like, no, he's not. David says, find out. Jonathan says, I will, but don't ever let my descendants or me down. And then in 1 Samuel 20, 17, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Like commitment to the point of sacrificing And I'll let you read the rest in 1 Samuel 20 because it's a great story. But you need to think about these things because here's what we see in the story of David. He couldn't have lived a, an incredible life of impact. I mean, a life where he is known as the greatest king that Israel ever has known. He's known as a man who had the heart of God. He's known as a man who wrote most of the Psalms, uh, a book of the Bible that we're gonna, we're gonna do a whole sermon series about after this one. I mean, he is like one of the heroes of the Jewish and Christian faiths. And none of it would have been possible if there wasn't this guy named Jonathan who comes up for just a few chapters. It's, I mean, he's not that big of a character. But he's an incredible friend to David. David is an incredible friend back. You want to know how abnormal this love is, this type of friendship in our society today? If you Google Jonathan and David, about 80% of what you'll find is this question. Were Jonathan and David gay? There's a moment where they kiss, very common thing in their society. I'd like to point out also that Jonathan went on to be married, had a son that we've already mentioned. Jonathan, David went on to be married a lot of times. <laughs> the evidence does not suggest that either of them were gay in any way. But it's so abnormal to us to find two males that love each other Deeply, intimately, passionately, sacrificially, more than life itself. That our world, I mean, we can't, you can't get on Google. You Google it. I'm telling you, Google it. And that's all you'll find. Were they gay? And it's sad and it's pathetic. And it's one of the reasons I think that 
that so many people right now are living such shallow, unimportant lives. I think it's one of the reasons that so many people turn to video games, as I said at the beginning of this series, to try to find some level of importance. Well, I'm level 60 in World of Warcraft. Uh, Look what I've conquered. It's fake, just so you know. I just... But what if we had friends that we could dream with, that we could talk with, that we could talk about what we might accomplish? Remember those days before we stared at cell phones and read about other people's lives when we sat around and dreamed big things with our friends? I think one of the reasons that our society is going downhill in so many ways is that we don't sit with each other and say, man, you could do it. I believe that we who are Christians, if we want to do incredible things for God, it's going to take sitting around with people and saying, I love you so much. Let's see all that we could be together. If you look at some of the greatest revivals in the history of the church, it's a group of friends saying, hey, I love you, you love me. We're one big happy family. I didn't mean to do that. That's Barney. (laughs) We love each other. And we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to hold each other to a higher standard. We're going to pray together. We're going to be together. We're going we're to make something happen for Jesus together. And then they do. They do. Go read about Jonathan Wesley. Go read about Jim Elliott. These people are famous in large part because they had incredible friends. And they were incredible friends to others. But you need Christian friends, not just any friends. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says to not be yoked together with unbelievers. We often use that passage of scripture to tell young people not to marry somebody that's, that's not a Christian. That's how that's usually used in the church. But this is about being unequally yoked with, with all people. We need Christian friends because those are the people that are going to spur us on to incredible things. And so I would ask this question to you. Two questions. And I'll finish. What fellow Christian in your life would give up their crown for you? And what fellow Christian in your life would you give up your crown for? If there's none, then find one. Sign up for a dinner at creekside.me next month. Let me pray for you. (laughs) Jesus, I ask that that you would make this a church, Lord, where there are incredible friendships. God, I am so thankful for the community that we have here. I think that a lot of the growth that we've seen in the last handful of months has come in large part because we're such a connected, unified church and people are uh, attracted to that. I'm attracted to it for sure, Lord. I love being a part of this church where where people care and, and people are unified and there's not there's not fighting even behind the scenes there's not bickering there's there's genuine love for each other lord but i but i also know god that that we're never we're never going to have everybody be friends like jonathan and david lord it's it's never going to happen um and so i pray lord that every person who is a part of this church god would would find those types of friendships here and, and in other places, Lord. Friendships that are full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, God. Friendships where, where our souls are bound together, God. Friendships there, 
that, that spur us on towards greater things and help us to live incredible lives of impact. I love you, Lord. I thank you for all that you have done for us. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.